Okay. I think, yes, we're going. Check, 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 Mike, check. What are you Mike. checking me for? Check. <laughs> You're always checking me. Poke. <laughs> okay, I know I'm a big Vincent Price fan, and I believe you are too. Oh, you know I am. <laughs> you know I am. Come yes. <laughs> no mysteries there. Yeah. Uh, got a couple of really nice ones today and everything. You do. These are some of my favorites. Oh, thank you. I chose well. Yes. Okay. Always. Two from Suspense and they're starring Vincent Price. Coming up. <laughs> this is Couch and Coffee Table. I'm Michael Perry. I'm Heather Perry. And today we've got a Vincent Price suspense double feature. And our first one up is called The Hunting Trip with Lloyd Nolan, who, if you are familiar with the Lemon Drop Kid, he was in that particular film as Oxford Charlie. Oh, okay. Okay. Really good actor, very underrated. Um, I know him a lot more from radio than I do from film, but I'm sure he did his fair share of both. Our, um, this particular uh, episode ran on December 9th, 1946. And so here is uh, Vincent Price and Lloyd Nolan with The Hunting Trip from Suspense. As it aired on December 9th, 1946. Sponsored by Roma Wine. And if they still existed, I would be drinking a bottle. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I think we both would. <laughs> yep. Sounds delicious. California <laughs> <Holy> vintage. <laughs> And now, Roma Wine, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Roma Wines presents... Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Vincent Price and Mr. Lloyd Nolan as stars of Hunting Trip. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness in entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now, a glass full would be very pleasant, as Roma Wines bring you Lloyd Nolan and Vincent Price in a remarkable tale of... Suspense. It began with just a little hunting trip for the two of us, Eric and me. I hadn't seen Eric for several months, not be since before Karen died, in fact. When I bumped into him at the club, he suggested that we run up to his cabin in the mountains for a few days, grab a bit of fresh air and relaxation, see if we couldn't bag ourselves a moose or a deer. And yet, almost at the outset, I had an uncanny feeling about that trip. I suppose, actually, it was the night and the setting 
was the blackest night I'd ever seen. We'd left all humankind behind us. There was no moon. There was only blackness, the kind that seemed to be all enveloping, as though there was nothing outside our car but blackness. No road, no forest, no mountains. Well, I'll admit I was nervous. I was boring my feet into the floorboard of the car, as though somehow that would help. <laughs> what are you laughing at? You, Sam. You don't look as though you're having a very good time. Well, I'm not. I, frankly, shouldn't you be driving a little bit slower? Why? Why, good heavens, Eric, if you make just one little slip of the wheel, we're, we're done for that. So all I doubt if they'd ever even find us down in those canyons. <laughs> Nonsense. I know every crook and turn in this road. Oh, yeah? I don't think you're much of an outdoors man. Well, Sam. maybe not. I love this kind of country in the daytime, but I'll confess I'm not so keen on it at night. I don't like what I can't see. <laughs> Funny, I'm just the opposite. There's, well, there's a challenge in the darkness that stimulates my senses. Mm. It's exhilarating. It stirs my imagination. Well, sure, I suppose it would. But I'm not equipped to grapple with the mysteries of the universe. <laughs> Stan, you're much too modest. You always were. You've gotten out of life pretty much what you wanted, haven't you? Well, yes, I suppose so. And then don't always be belittling yourself. It's an effective technique, Stan, but I'm on to you. You're as clever as the next fellow your own way. I sat back and tried to relax. Things weren't quite as Eric had pictured them. I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, as they say. Eric had come up the hard way. I was average and soft. He was brilliant and hard. We'd known each other a long time, going to school together, being in love with the same girl, Karen. When I married her, he was my best man, and yet I didn't pretend to understand him. He was still pretty much of a stranger to me. I glanced over his way. He actually seemed to be enjoying himself. It crossed my mind that he was rather enjoying seeing me in a bit of a lather, too. Well, it's not far now, just around the next bend. Well, thank the Lord. <laughs> well, am I amusing you again? <laughs> no. I was just thinking what a perfect spot this would be for a murder. A murder? Honestly, Eric, I believe that's all you think about. It is, almost. When I buy a newspaper, I read about murder the way you study the stock quotations. Murder is fascinating to me. I spend most of my time figuring out ways and means to commit murder. Now you're trying to sound like a mental case. Who knows? Perhaps I am. I have a mind. Well... Here we are, old man. Yeah. You see, I've delivered you safe and sound, all in one piece. Eric's cabin was perched high on a rocky crag jutting out from the side of a mountain with one wall flush against its sheer drop. In front, there was a steep path leading down to a lake. I could hear the lapping of the waves. Eric fixed us something to eat, then went outside. And pretty soon, he came back in. Arm full of logs. His face was red and healthy. I don't think you like my place, Dan. Huh? Oh, yes, I do, honestly. I'm just tired, I guess. Well, we'll turn in directly. Oh, thanks. Cigarette? Yes, thanks. I believe I will. I like it here. All the privacy in the world. Mm hmm Say, Eric. Yes? Why do you read about murder? Why do you read about stocks and bonds? Well, because they interest me. It's my business. My business doesn't interest me. I read about murder because I'm interested in people. Murder is emotional. And when people are being emotional, you get to see more of them. 
And why are you so interested in people? Oh, I think I'm more curious than interested. Well, all right. Why so curious? Well, it amuses me. I find out about people. I write down what I find out, and I write my impressions of how those people will react to a series of circumstances. It's a good way to get rid of one's inhibitions. Sort of a frightening hobby. I think uh, stamp collecting is frightening. <laughs> You're too darn clever, Eric. Why too clever? Well, I mean you see through people. Well, what's wrong with that? Unless, of course, they uh, have something they want to hide. Oh, I suppose it's all right, if your friends don't mind. Do you? Mind? No, heavens no. Why should I? That's right. Why should you? Well, how about hitting the hay? We have to be up early. We'll only get a few hours sleep as it is. That suits me. You sleep in my study, Stan. Uh, the bed's in there is a bit more comfortable. I'll bunk out here on a couch. I had undressed and gotten into bed and was reaching over to put out the light on Eric's desk when my eyes fell on a stack of typewritten sheets. I wondered if they were the notes Eric had been speaking about. The strange mumbo-jumbo he'd written there, phrases he liked, single sentences describing people he'd met. There were a few clippings pasted on sheets of white paper, clippings describing murders, by strangulation, by pistol, by drowning, by poison. A full sheet was devoted to Karen. I hadn't realized how much he cared for her. His analysis was very kind, almost maudlin. He spoke of his shock at hearing of a suicide. He tried to reason it, to find causes small memo pad caught my eye, however. And on the last page, I saw my name carefully printed. I read it eagerly. I read Eric's arguments for not hating me because I had married Karen. I read Eric's cold analysis of my character. <laughs> not exactly flattering, but it was pretty accurate. And at the bottom of the page, newly written by the looks of it, and in Eric's own careful hand, I read... Four ways to commit murder. By strangulation. By pistol bullet. By drowning. By poison. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Vincent Price and Lloyd Nolan in Hunting Trip. By Paul Bernard and Lee Horton. Roma Wine's presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts of Suspense, this is Ken Niles for Grand Estate Wines. Last night, a friend who entertains frequently told me how much he likes Grand Estate Wines. Those wines of outstanding excellence presented by Roma, America's greatest vintner. Here's what he said. Recently, Ken, I served Grand Estate wine to some very particular guests, people who really know wine. Their sincere praise for that wonderful fragrance and taste was certainly flattering to me as a host. Grand Estate wines are outstanding. Yes, to bring you this limited bottling of Grand Estate wines... Roma selected only the choicest juice-laden grapes from California's finest vineyards. Then at Roma's famed wineries, unmatched in winemaking resources, Grand Estate wines are patiently, skillfully guided to perfection. Necessary time and the age-old skill of Roma master vintners endow each Grand Estate wine with brilliant clarity, full fragrance, and mellow taste. 
So whatever the occasion, you're sure to please all tastes with Grand Estate California wines. Medium sherry, ruby port, and golden muscatel for delightful entertaining. Grand Estate Burgundy and Sauterne for gracious dining. Remember the name, Grand Estate Wines by Roma, the crowning achievement of vintner skill. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Lloyd Nolan as Stan and Vincent Price as Eric in Hunting Trip, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I slept that night, but it seemed as though I had only just dozed off when I heard the door open quietly. I opened one eye cautiously. It was still gray in the room, so I know I hadn't slept long. I was about to both open both eyes to save Eric the trouble of waking me when I thought, he hasn't come to wake me. My mind threw two words at me by strangulation. Before I had the chance to move, I felt his hands carefully on my throat. <laughs> Why, Stan, what's the matter? I thought for a minute that, yes. I guess I must have been dreaming. Nightmare. <laughs> you grabbed hold of my hands like you thought I was going to strangle you. Oh, did I? What's the matter? Have you got a guilty conscience? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I have. What did you want, Eric? Time to get up. Oh, already? Yeah, that's right. I've got good news, too. I just spotted a likely-looking buck right across the lake when I went down for water. Oh, good, good. Well, I'll get breakfast going as soon as you're ready. Yeah, be right with you. Now, there's no rush. Take your time. Nice to have you here. Well, maybe it was the way that he'd said that as though he'd really meant it. For a minute, I was convinced that I'd let my imagination run away with me. As for putting his hand on my throat, that was an accident. He'd been groping for my shoulder. And then the next minute I was asking myself, was it an accident, though? Suppose I'd really been asleep. Suppose I hadn't grabbed his hands. I still didn't know what to think. Well, I dressed and we sat down to breakfast. Oh, pass me your cup, will you, Stan? I'll, I'll give you some coffee. There you are. Thanks. Sugar coming up. No, no sugar for me, thanks. Well, Stan, when are you going to confess? What do you mean, confess? Or shall I drag it out of you? What are you driving at? Oh, come now. You're not going to play the adolescent schoolboy with me. I swear, I, I I'm don't... I'm referring go... to the lovely young woman you've been seen dining with and taking to the theater. Oh, oh, oh you mean Marcia? Is that her name? Yes, yes. Well, go on. Where did you meet her? How? When? Is she wealthy? Is she as beautiful <laughs> as they say she is? Come on. Let's have the sordid details. No, Eric, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Am I? Oh, I'll admit I've taken her out occasionally, but nothing like that. Marcia, do I know her? No, I don't believe you do. Isn't her last name Jenkins? Yes. Oh, of course I know her. That is, I met her. Well, don't you remember? You introduced me to her yourself. Oh, oh, did I? Yes, don't you remember? I ran into you at Silver's. You were buying perfume, and, and she was helping you select it for Karen. Remember? Oh, oh yes, yes. Now that you recall it, more I... coffee. Uh, yeah, no sugar. Well, when we got to the lake, we bailed out the boat, loaded it, and pushed it out into the fog. It was still half light when we reached the other side, so we sat in the boat and lighted cigarettes, waited for the sun to come up. We'd been sitting there, just smoking, 
not saying anything, when he suddenly turned to me and said, You say that she'd been ill? Uh, oh, Karen. Yes. Yes, she'd been ill for some time, Eric. So she killed herself? Yeah. There was an inquest, of course. Well, yes, of course. Why do you ask? Look at that sun. Did you ever see such color? Four ways to commit murder. I'd almost forgotten about Eric's hands on my throat. Now the incident jumped vividly back to my mind because now I knew that Eric had a reason. He looked away after he asked me about the inquest. He didn't answer me when I asked him why he wanted to know. Somewhere in that strange, dark corner of his mind, he was still obsessed by love for Karen, even though she was dead and gone. He thought that she'd still be alive and happy if she hadn't married me. My legs were weak when he motioned me out of the boat. A deer blew somewhere near us. We stopped. Hey, did you hear that? Yeah. Listen. It's moving west. Yeah. Stan, you work west, just about half a mile or so ahead of us. You'll come to a clearing. Mm -hmm. Take your stand there. Right. I'll strike north and west and then work toward the clearing. Good hunting. This is it, then, I thought. He'll hide somewhere along the way to the clearing and shoot me in the back. Now that I knew what to expect, I felt somewhat relieved. At least I'd be ready for him. Nothing happened until I'd nearly reached the clearing. And then I got the feeling that someone was walking with me, timing his steps with mine. I stopped and listened. I don't know how long I stood there. My rifle gripped in my hands. But suddenly, instinctively, I wheeled around. A shot whistled over my head. Then I saw a buck running across the clearing. He'd shot at me and missed. Well, two can play at that game, I thought. The next shot would be mine. I wouldn't miss. I dropped on my knees watching the brush for him. Then all of a sudden, I saw him running toward me, right out in the open. I started to raise my rifle, but I couldn't. I couldn't kill a man that way in cold blood. Stand. Stand. Did I hit you? No, Count found you. Now, I... hold on a minute, old son. Let's no. not lose our heads. I'm... Oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, of course, but I had no idea you were to take stand in the clearing, so I naturally assumed you were there. I, I don't know what I can say. Well, it... maybe it was my fault. I don't know. Anyway, let's forget it. But I... I, 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 I said let's skip it. close to Eric after that, I gave no more opportunity for a shooting accident. It was dusk when we huddled, headed back toward the cabin. We didn't get out, but not that I cared, and I'm sure Eric didn't. He was at the different game. Then I saw a boat on the beach. By drowning. Here we were alone. I couldn't refuse to get in the boat with him. There was no other way of getting back to the cabin. I could feel the perspiration trickling down my ribs. I stumbled in the underbrush. Easy, easy now. Hey, it's too bad we didn't bag that fella. Uh, what? That buck. Better luck tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, better luck tomorrow. 
You seem preoccupied, Stan. Do I? Yes, I have the ghastly feeling that I'm failing you as a host. I don't think you're having a very good time. I, I think this is a marvelous country, Eric. <laughs> You've exercised phenomenal restraint, old son. What do you mean? About expressing your admiration for it. I'd never have suspected that you liked it so much. That remark called for some sort of an answer, but I wasn't equal to it. Fortunately, I was spared the necessity. We reached the lake in the boat, then we tossed our guns into it. Eric started to push out the shore. Hop in, Stan. Easy does it now. Hang on to the oars, will you, while I climb in? All set? All set. Splendid. Here, now, you better let me row. I know this lake. There's some treacherous spots in it. What do you mean? Oh, some nasty boulders sticking up. Some of them that aren't easy to spot. Come too close to the surface for comfort. I see. If we were to hit one of them, we'd turn over in a hurry. You don't swim, do you, Stan? You know darn well I don't. Oh, that's a shame. It's a mistake not to learn to swim, don't you think? What happened after that was a nightmare. He rode. I sat there, paralyzed. I couldn't move. I couldn't think. I knew, I knew I should do something, but what? I stared at the water till I was blind, looking for rocks. Eric's face was a blur. He just smiled and rode, rode and talked. His voice sounded hollow and unreal. You're shaking, Stan. Is something wrong? This lake's plenty deep. Lots of fish in it, too. Maybe we can do a little fishing. He stopped suddenly. He'd seen something in the water. He turned around, pulled hard on the oars. We'd reached the spot he knew it. And then... Go! Go, Eric! Go! Eric, with the love of God! When he came up, Eric was there in the water near me. He didn't speak. He just grinned. And then I saw his face above mine, grinning. I saw him raise his face, strike me, and... That's the I remember. When I came to, I, I was lying on the beach, and Eric was standing over me, smiling. Well, hello. How are you feeling? I... Okay, I guess. So you're a tough customer to rescue, old son. You put up quite a fight. I'm, I'm sorry. I thought now, that maybe... don't try to talk now. You've had a pretty bad time. Take it easy. Well, it was all clear to me then. Eric had saved my life. It had been accidental. The shot, the boat turning over. He didn't want to kill me. A man doesn't save you from drowning when he wants you dead. But it had all been my imagination, a nightmare. The relief that flowed through my body was almost too much for me. It would... Well, there aren't words to express how I felt. A 
little later, Eric helped me up to my cabin, and I stretched out on the couch. Eric went to the kitchen to fix hot coffee and soup. He brought the coffee in first, pulled up the coffee table close to me, and poured us each out a cupful. Ah, there you are. Get some of that into you, and you'll feel different. Oh, thanks. I'll be back in a second. Soup's coming right up. Hey, uh, Stan, do you like to cook? Huh? I said, do you like to cook? You know, I do. I, I, well, I like to try different concoctions. Oh, not me. I'd starve to death if I had to cook for myself. Oh, man. This coffee hits the spot. Yeah, I can use a little of that, too. It sure does warm the innards, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I got a little chill. Nothing like a cup of coffee, I always say. <laughs> That's what I always say, too, Stan. Uh, why didn't did I, say, I say something funny? Am I amusing you again? <laughs> Immensely. Yeah. In fact, Stan, I think that's probably the funniest thing you ever said. Mm-hmm. How did you like it, Stan? Four ways to commit murder. You read it, of course. Well, yes, I... I, I couldn't tell you had, just as I intended you to. Were you frightened all day today? I don't understand. You didn't know, did you, that I came to your engagement party to ask Karen to be my wife. I wasn't aware that you were throwing a party or that she had accepted you. Oh, good Lord. Perhaps you don't remember what I told you that night. You thought I was joking, but I meant every word I said. That I'd make you pay if you failed Karen, if you made her unhappy. But in all these years, you would... Then you did bring me up here to... Murder you? You're so right, Stan. You pulled me out of the lake. You saved my life. You are a dull-witted clown, aren't you, Stan? Don't you know me better than that? Did you think I'd kill you in, in the manner of a homicidal moron? Oh, no, Stan. But you did take a shot at me. Oh, yes. That was the second way. The first way was by waking you up by the throat this morning. The boat tipping over was the third way. And now I suppose we've reached the fourth way. Your brilliance positively staggers me. You can't get away with it, Eric. Oh, yes, I can. I have. You see how intently I'm watching you? I'm waiting to see you fall. You're going to die, Stan, just as Karen died. What do you mean? In the coffee stand. That's right. (laughs) Your coffee's poisoned, just as you poisoned her coffee. Only yours is a slow poison. (laughs) Poetic justice, don't you think? You you poisoned my coffee? Yes, I I wore down your guard. I I planned it so that by now you would trust me. You would have... Faith in me. You, you poisoned my coffee? What if, what if you... <laughs> I didn't drink my coffee, Eric. I changed cups with you. There was sugar in my cup, Eric. <laughs> I, I don't take sugar in my coffee, Eric. So I changed cups with you. I, I didn't mean to do it, Eric, but... <laughs> I don't like sugar in my coffee. So you see, I I didn't kill Eric, really. <laughs> he killed himself accidentally. But, but I wish he had killed me. He had a good reason to. Because somehow he knew about Karen... About how I killed Karen by putting poison in her coffee that morning. And I watched her die the same way that I watched Eric die. 
I'm tired now. I don't want to talk anymore. You do whatever you want with me. By Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now, our two distinguished stars, Lloyd Nolan and Vincent Price, are returning for a curtain call with William Spear, our producer-director of Suspense. Mr. Spear is carrying two large gift baskets of Grand Estate California wines. Lloyd and Vincent, and Vincent and Lloyd, <laughs> just to keep the billing straight, uh, we want you each to have a basket of these Grand Estate wines with our compliments for a thrilling performance. Oh, okay, thank you, Bill. Hey, this is quite a selection. It certainly is. My thanks, too, Bill. Well, there, there must be a Grand Estate wine for every occasion here. Well, I guess there is, isn't there, Ken? Well, there is indeed, Bill. Even my favorite, Grand Estate Medium Sherry. A truly versatile wine, Grand Estate Medium Sherry is delicious as an aperitif before dinner. Delightful for afternoon or evening parties, too. And, of course, like all Grand Estate wines by Roma, Medium Sherry possesses the brilliant clarity, full fragrance, and mellow taste that distinguish truly great wines. That sounds wonderful. Well, yes, Mr. Nolan, and you can be sure that any Grand Estate wine you serve represents the ultimate in wine goodness, the crowning achievement of vintner skill. That's why Grand Estate wines presented by Roma, the greatest name in wine, are the choice of discriminating wine users everywhere. Well put, Ken. Uh, Vincent, what's new and startling over on the 20th Century Fox lot? Well, they're pretty excited about Daryl Zanuck's film version of Mom's The Razor's Edge, uh -huh. which has just finished up shooting. And I guess the picture that they like best among the current releases is Claudia and David. Uh-huh. You're on loan out just now, away from the home lot, aren't you, Vincent? That's right, Bill. And Lloyd is, too. Oh. Yes, yes, sir. I will be in a couple of weeks. Right now, I'm just loafing, grabbed a little fishing, took a hunting trip up north. Uh, you wouldn't want to go on a hunting trip with me, <laughs> would you, Lloyd? No, thanks. I had plenty of that tonight on suspense. Uh, oh, Bill, who's on the show next Thursday? It's uh, Dane Clark in a suspense play about a gunsel, a professional murderer who doesn't know he has any emotions, until he finds himself falling in love with the wife of a man he's killed. Sounds wonderful. Hey, we'll be listening, eh, Lloyd? Oh, yes, sure thing. Swell. Well, then, if you two will relieve me of these baskets of Grand Estate wines before my arms give way, there's a loud crash. <laughs> Thanks again, Bill. Well, good night. Good night. Next Thursday, same time, listen to Dane Clark on Suspense. Presented by Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Columbia Broadcasting System.
For our second feature, we are running Three Skeleton Key, also from uh, Suspense. Also sponsored by Roma Wine. <laughs> and it aired on November 11th, 1956. This one is a bit of a dark one. They did it again later on without Vincent, but it didn't have the same sort of impact from what I'm to understand. Vandals. No, this is one of my favorites. Oh, okay. So uh, you've run this for us a couple of times just as we're going to sleep, and it mm -hmm. is super creepy and just really, really well done. Um, Vincent goes from sensible to deranged really well yeah it's, it's in in the production so it one is a, of my favorites yeah it is a dark horse uh one of the ones i'm probably going to put in at some point is one that i have that's pretty dark and is considered pretty pretty well not so much gruesome but it's one that at the time for radio everybody felt it was pretty dark i think it's called the jungle mm -hmm. and it's you mentioned it's, that this yeah morning. yeah yeah, it's one I'm going to put in at some point because I it's just really don't know super. that I've heard it, so that that'll be interesting to listen to. No, definitely run it for you at one point or another. Yes. But for right now, <laughs> we're going to do another suspense, and this one is Three Skeleton Keys, starring Vincent Price, as it aired November eleventh, nineteen fifty-six. Outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. You are about to experience one of the most terrifying half hours in your entire life. Three Skeleton Key, starring Vincent Price. Oh yes, I realize superlatives tend to lose their significance by overuse. How many times have you been promised that a story would be the funniest, or the most dramatic, or the most exciting only to find that it failed to live up to its advertising. The story you are about to hear is an exception. It is unconditionally guaranteed to chill your blood unless you happen to love rats. We begin now with Mr. Vincent Price in Three Skeleton Key, a play well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. this place. A gray tapering cylinder welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself. A bare black rock 150 feet long, maybe 40 wide. That's at low tide. At high tide, just the light rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water, gray-green, scum-dappled, warm as soup and swarming with gigantic bat-like devilfish, great violet schools of Portuguese man-of-war, and, yes, sharks, the big ones, the 15-footers, 
And as if this wasn't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland. A wind that smelled like death. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door. And in you went and up. Yes, up and up and round and round. Past the tanks of oil and the coils of rope. Cases of wicks, racks of lanterns, sacks of spuds and cottons and cans. And up. And up and up. Round and round. Over the light storeroom was the food storeroom, and over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept. And over the bunk room was the living and cooking room. And over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty, balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of her rotary mechanism. At night, you'd lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with her revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, easing her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there watching to see that the feeders kept working, that everything ran right, <laughs> and it wouldn't be bad. The other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. <laughs> you'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind it wouldn't be bad. About those other two, Louis and August, what a pair. Louis, he was head man, was a big fellow from the Basque country, black beard, little hard black eyes, and a pair of arms that I tell you, those arms were as big around as my legs, yeah? Head man he was, and what word he let go was law. A silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation, the most I could ever get uh, out of it was... I took up this profession because I, I, I don't like people. They talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. Understand? You, you're getting to be as bad as August. I thought maybe... That was Louis. And when he accused me of becoming like August, I quieted down because August was the talkingest man I've ever met. The talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. It seems he'd been an actor in Paris. Played in over 200 different productions, dear boy. That's a grand guignol. Oh, but it was monstrous. Horrible. The way we used to scare the audience. <laughs> I, I was hated. Yes, yes. They used to throw things and hiss and, and bare their teeth at me. Well, finally, it got too bad. I, I couldn't stand it any longer. No, I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand. Yes, I gave it up completely. I really did. I couldn't it all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent comers, and the big yellow stars... When out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second. 
something the light had touched, far off. I waited for her to come around again, and when she did, there it was. A three-master, a big one, about a half mile off, and coming down out of the nor-nor-west, coming straight for us. You, know, you must understand, our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us, and ships kept clear. But this one, this sailing vessel, was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled, Louie! Louie! What? Ship headed for the reefs! Coming right up! I had the glasses out now. Couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set, the foam creaming away under her bow, her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guessed it. But why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day. Ship? Where? No, no, west. The light will touch her in a moment. Mm. Can't they see? Look at her. Just keeps coming on. The square heads. What is it? What is it? Watch no Norwest. I know. I know what it is. What? The Dutchman. The flying Dutchman. She's derelict. That's it. Derelict? Abandoned. The crew left her for some reason or other, but instead of sinking, she's gone on, running before every wind. She'll not run long. Not with these reefs to break her up. Beautiful ship. Now, why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? We watched her the rest of those black hours, healing and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to a pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief. She doesn't look so good by daylight. Do you think she'll ground this time? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? This is impossible. Absolutely impossible. Why? Here, take my glasses. They're stronger than yours. All right. What is it? I had to focus and then... My breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet that looked like a gigantic fungus, but undulating. And on the masts and yards, the guys and all, were hundreds, no, thousands, no, I don't know, an inestimable number of tremendous Them. Yes, yes, I see them. Now we know why she's a derelict. Yes, now we know. What are you two doing here? Give me a look. Yeah, yes, give him the glasses. Uh, Take a good look, Chatterbox. Huh? Give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, if she's going to turn, she'd better turn soon. Suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's low tide. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is. Well, where's all the conversation? 
Boogies? No. Uh, no. She's still coming on. Go away. Turn. Go away. Turn, will you turn? I say, I pray you turn. Cracked up. <laughs> Rats, look. On the water, like a carpet. Swimming. Sure, they're swimming. Those are ship rats. They're swimming for the rocks. The door below, it's open. Yes, come on. Tongue went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three and four at a time. Scared. You can bet we were scared. Bogus, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb. We don't know. Right, Chief, but hurry. Hurry. See them? No. Oh, yeah. oh, yes, I do, yes. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at them. Me? They smell us. Here they come. Close the door. I can't. It's stuck. Oh, here, let me... You move me. Move. You made it. Holy. That was close. One got in. Look, there. We'll get him. Watch it. He's... Kick him. Oh, what a brute. Big as a tomcat. Bigger. His eyes were wild and red, his teeth long and sharp and yellow. He went for a starving, ravenous. And we fought him, fought that one rat all over the room. It was all, believe me, I do not exaggerate. It was like fighting a panther. Got him. We'd better get aloft. We ran up the winding staircase. We passed the tiny windows of the various levels. And at every one, every one was a thick, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louis, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Look at them. Oh, will you look at them? It's a nightmare. Will you look at them? The air of the gallery was thick and fetid with the stink of them. The light was dim brown, filtered through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass all about us. We could not see the sky, nothing, nothing but them. Their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling, hairy snouts, and their teeth. The rats, they screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving, and we three, we stood quietly, very, very quietly, in the center of the glass room, under our beautiful light, what can we do? What can we do, Chief? Take it easy, Ogish. Take it easy. It won't do any good. It won't do any good to stand here and shake. That's right. Go away. Go away. Do you hear me? Go away this instant. They won't go away. Not until... Finish it, Chief. Not until what? Not until they've been fed. You can take just so much horror and then you get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the glass. <laughs> they could see us and they could rush at us, but that thin, invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. 
From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below. More rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. If only it had drowned some of them. Ship rats don't drown. You can't drown one of them. Look, they're all climbing up the tower. Yeah, this bunch around us is getting thicker. <laughs> Say, what's the time, huh? <laughs> Quarter of six. You've got first watch. Yes, Wake that's me right. At ten. I will. I will. Come along, August. It's getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the rats. Oh, very pretty. <laughs> I set the wicks, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamp. It caught them. Lit them in their gigantic, wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. And then I started the rotary motor. The light drove them mad. As she swung slowly and smoothly about, she blinded them in the fierce stabbing bar of light moving continually about, ever turning, ever touching, ever moving around and around, and they twitching and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light, the bright light moving and behind on the dark side of the room, so close, so close... I dared not turn my back, which cannot help turning your back when you are in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you could not see them, but only their eyes, thousands of points of blank red light, blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. Louis relieved me at ten. But as you may imagine, I didn't get much sleep that night. When I came up into the gallery early the next morning, there stood Auguste. He was bowing to the rats, waving his arms, and so help me, making morning, a speech. My dear audience, I am going to play once again that magnificent role which made me the toast of the Paris theater. Prelati, the evil genius of the medieval underworld. <laughs> I am he who did guide the dark soul of the Marachal into the nether paths. <laughs> Do not be frightened, little children. I will not hurt you much. <laughs> he kept turning. I stood staring at him, horror struck, but he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving not one out. August! August! Another one, a latecomer. Take a seat on the aisle, dear Patrick. Oh, stop it, stop it! He didn't stop. He went on bowing and scraping to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arm and slapped his face. He looked at me like a child, and then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below, August. Go on. Very well, then. <laughs> Later, my dear audience. Later. <laughs> Matinee today. <laughs> <laughs>
sure he was crazy. But I guess we all were. A few hours later, he came back up and caught Louie and me teasing the rats. Yes. Sounds horrible. <laughs> it, it was fun. We would get right up against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away, trying to get at our eyes. <laughs> Louie was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. The rats would scramble into a solid ball, fighting each other, clustering like, like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall 110 feet to the surf below. Look! Look, look at the sharks. <laughs> They're eating them. No, those sharks are our friends. <laughs> here, here. I'll get another bunch together. <laughs> here, my beauty. That's it. I'll um, kill each other. <laughs> there they go. <laughs> August joined in, too. Oh, oh, very ingenious, August. He learned that if he spread-eagled himself against the glass, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait in rats! <laughs> it went on all day, and then I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired, and I was just beginning to fall off to sleep when I became conscious of a new sound. I couldn't figure it at first. I got up, lit the lamp, and went to the window. Even as I looked at it, I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away. Louis, Louis, come quick. What? What, what they, is it? They found a way in. I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy, and assured of the success of this maneuver, they were all nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We spread it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, I, I felt the heavy bodies thudding against the other side as the window gave way. Uh, that ought to hold. If it doesn't, we're done. For. Rats can't eat tin. No, no, they can't. What was that? I don't know. It came from below. The storeroom window. They're in. They're swarming up the stairs. Drop the trap. Light. Two of them got in. We'll go after them. We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. I let to one side and grabbed a marlin spike, swung and smashed one in midair. I whirled to see Louis with the other. It had ripped his hand open and the blood was pouring all over the place. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped and swung and got him. My hand. He's got my hand. That's the both of them, Louis. I'll get you something to tie that up. Blood, look at it, my blood. I'm, I'm bleeding. Don't worry about it, Louis. Don't worry. Now, here, look. I'll wind uh, this kerchief around it. It'll be okay. Blood. Uh, there, 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 blood. There, there. It's not bad, just the flesh. My blood. Then I became conscious of a new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the planks fascinated, and even as I did, it began to give way. A bristling, whiskery snout showed through. 
Louis, Louis, we've got to go up. The next level was the living quarters and kitchen. I slammed the trap there, too, but it, too, was wood. Oh, my blood. What, what are we going to do? I, I don't know. They'll be through this one in a moment. The gallery. The trap door in the gallery is metal. Good. Come on. <laughs> Oh, we made it. We made it. We lay across the trap, exhausted, while below us the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather, and all about us the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mess, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. By morning, the air in the little room was horrible. To now, we'd been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off. And so was all our food and water. We lay exhausted and panting, waiting, waiting. And the hours crawled on. I-, I was almost dozing from fatigue when I saw a sight that brought me too fast. <laughs> Would you like to come in, my beauties? Yeah, will you? <laughs> I hold the powers of life and death, and I can let you in, you know. Auguste was standing by the glass, and in one hand he held a big wrench. He was tapping the glass gently, not quite hard enough to break it. I eased myself to my feet and slowly, very slowly, I tiptoed toward him. All I have to do is just a little harder and... I found a coil of wire in the toolkit and I trussed him up, fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side looking at his bloody hand, weak and sick as a baby. So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company, and all about watching our little drama, The Rats. The day dragged by. The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. And we had only one way of summoning them. That was to shoot off distress rockets, but the rockets were four floors below. And even if they'd been right there in the gallery, I I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. That night I tended the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day we lay... Thirst tormented, starving, waiting, waiting. The following night, I again tended the light, but the small supply of spare wicking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted, and quite suddenly, at about midnight, the light went out. There was nothing I could do. Wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do, nothing. From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. And when I did, 
It lit up the million red eyes about us. All about us, watching, waiting. Below it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out, and now they, too, were waiting. All waiting. And then the rats, quite suddenly, were silent. And then I heard it. Then I saw the sky and the stars. The rats were gone. I went to the glass. Out there on the water, a small freighter, a banana boat showing a few lights, came softly and innocently at us. The light was out. They didn't know. I, I wanted to open the windows to call out to them, to warn them somehow, but... But I was afraid. What if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef not 200 yards from the quay. Grounded so gently that the man playing the cornet, was he a passenger, a crewman off watch, didn't even stop playing. They tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising, would have floated her free. And I waited. Well, that's all. That's the story. The sun came up and there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had deserted us. Gone back to sea on their new ship. August? Insane asylum, he never recovered. Louis, they took him into Cayenne where he died of blood poisoning from his bite. Life on three skeleton key isn't bad these days. <laughs> But sometimes, when I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous. Sure. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. Suspense, in which Vincent Price starred in Three Skeleton Key with John Daner and Ben Wright. Suspense. Suspense was directed in Hollywood by William N. Robeson. Three Skeleton Key was adapted by James Poe from the story by George G. Tudus. Leith Stevens composed and conducted the original score. Sound pattern by Cliff Thorsness, Gus Bays, and Ray Kemper. George Walsh speaking. Suspense is presented by the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
That's going to do it for this episode. We appreciate you stopping by and listening in, and we hope you continue to do so. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more from us, we're available on Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Copy RSS. Until next time, take care. This has been Couch. Coffee Table here. <laughs> and we hope to hear and we hope to be able to come to you next time, present even more, and have even more scary January shivers for you. In the meantime, pour a glass of wine, watch some Vincent Price films, cuddle up. This episode is dedicated to Tess Henson, who has been gone for about a year or so now, but I don't think it's ever too late to remember someone. She is someone that had an impact on this particular show and the people who are in charge of it. And we would just like to dedicate this episode to Tess because as she would say herself, I loves me some Vincent Price. She was a phenomenal lady, absolutely one of the greats and sorely missed by those who knew her and loved her. So Tess, wherever you are, and to quote someone from Facebook, who I don't know if I can use her name or not, when she heard that Tess was gone in her text and remembering her, she said, I hope that you're sitting up there drinking with Vincent now. Absolutely. Absolutely. She would be. She would be. But from all of us here at Couch and Coffee Table, <laughs> take care.